riots on April 12, 1945, had filled the nation with similar grief, and when some watched the funeral train slowly moving from Warm Springs, Georgia, to Washington, D.C., they thought of Lincoln's train making its way from the Capitol to Springfield, Illinois, and the poet crying, Captain, my Captain. Both Lincoln and Roosevelt had seen the country through five years of war. Reagan, in contrast, did everything to avoid a direct military confrontation, and he succeeded in settling the long, hazardous Cold War through diplomatic means, the only modern American president to prevent a major war through patient dialogue and mutual trust. At the tense summit conference of the 1980s, hope overcame fear under Reagan's confident leadership. Hope even burned brightly at the funeral. Those in attendance and the millions watching on national television heard Reagan's children speak poignantly of their father, and as Nancy Reagan leaned over to kiss the casket, a stillness came over the hillside and the tip of the orange sun spread and blazed, a last farewell before sinking below the horizon. For many Americans, it was a death in the family. But not for all Americans— some would never accept Reagan the Republican conservative, and many more only wanted to hear about his film career. During the week of his funeral, the media obliged with photos, reports, and reruns of his many movies. Reagan was likened to the hero of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the story of a virtuous citizen who arrives in the nation's corrupt capital to set things right. The film, starring Jimmy Stewart, did have a certain relevance for a president who in his first inaugural address in 1981 told us that government itself was the problem of American political life. For many Americans, however, Reagan the president would never escape from the portraits of his familiar movie roles. The handsome, trusting nice guy, a tilted head radiating boyish charm, a smile beaming old-time values, and, in one film, spotlighting Reagan with a chimpanzee, an actor a little too silly for his own good. Reagan's friends John Wayne and Humphrey Bogart gave the audience true grit and wily intelligence. Reagan's image was less clear, in print and on film. The books published during and shortly after his presidency were generally negative, written in a derogatory tone aimed at diminishing his stature. One was called Sleepwalking Through History, another Our Long National Daydream, and a third Ronald Reagan, The Movie. Reagan did have the author he deserved in Lou Cannon, the discerning journalist who treated his subject respectfully and with scrupulous fairness in several editions of a comprehensive and definitive biography. A recent major biography, Edmund Morris's long-awaited Dutch, aroused, however, more criticism of the author than of his subject. For Morris, a very engaging writer, wove himself into the story and avoided addressing seriously the many issues confronting Reagan. The most recent book is Richard Reeves's President Reagan, The Triumph of Imagination, an admirable study of the White House years. Reagan had the imagination to envision a country without high taxes and the bureaucratic state and a world without the threat of communism. The author tackled a question that had intrigued Henry Adams. Does the occupant of the White House make a difference in the political history of the country? Thus Reeves approached Reagan the way he dealt with John F. Kennedy and Richard M. Nixon in previous biographies, where the focus is on policy goals that the presidents have set for themselves and the challenge of implementing them.
My concern is not so much with implementation as conceptualization, the genesis of policy positions, where the ideas came from in the first place before they faded into the fog of politics and, in some cases, failed to be realized. Reagan's political philosophy was fully formed before he entered the White House. Shaped by the emotions of his youth, the liberal religious outlook he inherited from his mother, the conservative economic philosophy he studied in college, the experiences of battling the Hollywood Reds, the influence of Whitaker Chambers, his horror at the thought of nuclear war, and, above all, his reaction to the most explosive decade of American history, the radical 60s generation. It was like a flying saucer landed, recalled the bard Bob Dylan. That's what the 60s were like. Dylan was, of course, referring to the wild and free counterculture, a Saturnalia of subversion when everything was possible and it was forbidden to forbid.